Welcome to the Wisconsin in Focus podcast powered by the Center Square. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Wisconsin in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. And we ask you to subscribe to Wisconsin in Focus wherever you listen to your podcast. And we're recording today on Thursday, December 1st. 2022. And joining me is our Wisconsin correspondent, Benjamin Yount. Benjamin Yount, how are you today, sir? I When I first started in radio, by the way, I'm fine, thank you. But when I first started in radio, I was a 19-year-old kid. And up until then, my name was Ben. And ev- only my mother ever called me Benjamin, and usually only when I was in trouble. But because I was so nervous and I would read everything so quickly and my voice was high, People would call or, or back then even write letters to radio stations and say, who's this new kid, Dan something? And they thought I was saying Daniel. And what I did is I, I had to change my, my name, not really change it. It is my real name. But I, I started going by Benjamin Yant because by saying Benjamin, it forces me to close my mouth, take a half a beat and say Yount. Now, if my name was Smith or Jones or something different, you know, Matt Jones, you know, the generic broadcast name, it wouldn't be a big deal. But no, I, I, I in, in everyday life, everybody calls me Ben. But, you know, professionally, I always hate that term, but professionally, I go by Benjamin because way back when in 1990, whatever, in order to to, to get through the newscasts on the voice of McLean County, I uh, I had to I had to slow down and, and call myself Benjamin Yant just so people could understand me. So I, I I don't know why I decided to share that story here, but I think it was the way that you pronounced Benjamin. But uh, oh, there well, is there is the entomology of my professional name. I do appreciate that Benjamin Yount. And here's the deal. I mean, for many, many years, I went by Bruce Edward Walker, Edward being my middle name. But, you know, I, I was what Humphrey Bogart would disparagingly call one of those damned three named writers but uh i i did it simply to uh delineate me from the 750 other bruce walkers appearing uh on the internet so if you did yeah. a, a search of bruce walkers there was like seven eight hundred of them and so i went by bruce edward walker and most of the bruce edward walkers that you would google are all dead. So um, I'm, I'm the one that's is, still alive. There is a dentist in San Diego by the name of Benjamin Yant. And, and, and the wor- worst of all, he is another redheaded guy. I'm a Whoa. redheaded gentleman. And he's another redhead. And I, I have no idea his politics, but whenever you Google the name Benjamin Yant, you either get, you know, DDS San Diego or all of the media that I've ever done, you know, conservative talk talk show host, and and they just so I, I feel terrible if this guy's on Twitter and and he's like at Ben Yount two or something and just gets all of the hate that should be directed towards me, uh, you know. But I, I figure that when I when I finally need to get this root canal done, he'll be my guy. I'll call him up and say, "Hey, name brother, let's uh, let's work out a deal here." Well, I don't want to put in a, an advertisement for uh, other people's professional services, but there is a Bruce Edward Walker who is a dentist as well in Toronto. <laughs> so those damn uh, dentists, those damn dentists, they're always trying to move in on our turf. 
I don't know what it is. But hey, listen, it's been a busy, busy week. And I was all prepared to talk to you about the the unfortunate demise of Christine McVie and ask you what your favorite Christine McVie Fleetwood Mac song was. I think you could probably just throw a dart at anything on the Rumors album. And it's it's great. Uh, I I love... I love the story of Fleetwood Mac and, and for, for younger viewers who, who don't know, I mean, this was, this was a, a, a band where, and I forget who it was, but they, they, they wrote the song about, was it Lindsey Buckingham who wrote the song about uh, cheating on his wife or his wife cheating on him. And then they, they forced everybody to sing it every night. I mean, I just, I love that part of Fleetwood Mac, but I, Go your you know, own way. literally anything, yeah. anything off the rumors album is, is good. In, in fact, that's, that's one of the, the handful of albums that I think you can just put on and just let it go through the whole way. Well, um, that album came out, I want to say my senior year in high school. And uh, prior to that, my older brother, knowing that I was a full born British blues fanatic, brought me a stack of albums, Savoy Brown and the original Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green on blues guitar. And I would buy cutouts or go to garage sales and find uh, Fleetwood Mac. I, I call it the Fleetwood Mac middle period where uh, Bob Welch was the lead guitarist. But on every single one of those albums from the time that uh, Christine McBee was uh, a member of the band, and uh, that goes from Kiln House up to the Fleetwood Mac album from that was released in 1975 that introduced the commercial behemoth of Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks. But each one of those albums up till that point in time and well beyond that just features the beautiful honey, honeyed alto voice of Christine McBee and her wonderful, wonderful songs that just seem to like fall from her fingertips as she sits down at the piano. It always sounds spontaneous when she performs them. So yeah, she'll be sorely missed. So yeah, anyway, R. let's R. move into, let, I'm sorry, you're going to say something. I said RIP, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Yes. So sir, in Wisconsin, uh, you began uh, your your Thursday barrage of articles. You, you had like three yesterday. And uh, anyway, you're talking about uh, Robin Voss, who uh, actually testified in front of the January 6th committee. Yeah. Yeah. This this is one of these stories that it when it first popped up, when he, when he first was subpoenaed, you, you just were sort of what? And the the way that I wrote it for the radio, because of course when when you know when we write at the center square, it's uh, three hundred fifty to to four hundred something words. I rarely ever go over four hundred. I I can barely write four hundred. I can't imagine anyone wanting to read four hundred. But this was this was the, the the way I wrote it on the radio was he wasn't there, and so it was kind of interesting to see the January sixth committee want to talk to Robin Voss about the January sixth riot and really what it comes down to is this is the wide net cast by this almost exclusively democratic committee in the congress that is looking into all things donald trump and because wisconsin was one of the states in which the former president claimed that the election was stolen from him that dragged the speaker robin voss into the mess 
And whatever he was asked, he didn't say. He put out a, a very, very brief sentence or very, very brief statement, three sentences, I believe, in, in, in all. And he said that he sat down with the committee. He answered their questions. His appearance was brief. He reiterated that he had absolutely nothing to do with the events of January 6th. The other reporting around this, the sort of, you didn't hear it from me, but kind of reporting is that the committee wanted to talk to Speaker Voss about a July, not tweet, because President Trump wasn't on Twitter, uh, but, but a statement on his truth social asking about why the state of Wisconsin did not nullify or recall or change the outcome of our 2020 presidential votes. And this goes back to the story that we wrote at the time that the Wisconsin Supreme Court said, yeah, those ballot drop boxes that were used in 2020, they're not allowed under state law. The president took that to mean, well, they weren't allowed under state law. So now all those votes are illegal. You need to toss those votes. And all of a sudden, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. He's president again. Voss said at the time what he has said almost since the beginning, pretty much right after the 2020 election, the assembly speaker has been saying Wisconsin's constitution does not allow for a revote or a recall of its electors that, that, that is, is as bothered by this as President Trump is and was, he still lost. Joe Biden won Wisconsin and there's nothing constitutionally that the state can do. And so the expectation, because again, no one on the committee is really talking to us and the speaker is only relying on that statement. The, the, the assumption is that's where the question's focused. What did the president ask you to do? What were you able to do? And, and Voss has been, again, clear from the start that, that as, as bothered by this as, as, as many Trump supporters are, there is nothing that the state can do. And so this was a, a relatively quick question and answer session. Again, said it was very brief because there's nothing really that the, the speaker had to say. Robin Voss has become, let's just use the word target. For some of the hardcore Trump supporters here in Wisconsin who really do believe that there's somehow some way that the state can do something about the 2020 election, even though we are now here in the middle of 2022 or, or at the end of 2022, yeah. almost yeah. Uh, in, into 2023. Yeah, we're getting, so we're getting close is, to the 2024 the, campaign. So, yeah, this is this is part of the, you know, the, the frustration, the anger of people who are on both sides of this. And, and you know, Robin Voss will, will never be tough enough for them, and, and he will always be tainted enough for many liberal voters here in the state. But, you know, this is, this is the, 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 the complication that comes with being the top Republican in the state capitol. But, uh, yeah, this is one of these stories that I'm sure we'll get some more details in a couple of months about just what he was asked. And it, 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 is, it is proof, once again, that no matter what we do in this state, no matter how much time goes by in this state, no matter the the other reportorial prowess that we show at Center Square, we will always come back to the Gableman investigation. It's like the Godfather 3. Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. Uh, the only memorable line in the, that entire film. But hey, listen, there's more, as they say. Wait, there's more. And... That is uh, Janelle Branchen and military ballots. So, yeah. So, this do is, tell. 
this is this is one of these stories. And again, this is either a story of proof positive of more election shenanigans in 2020 or proof positive of election shenanigans in 2022. We don't know which yet. Branchin, who has been at the heart, again, Gableman-esque investigation. She had her own investigation, but she also threw in with the Gableman investigation. She has been one of the most vocal critics of the 2020 election, of the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And she has she has really done a yeoman's job for, for all of the sort of extraneous politicking that she got involved in against Speaker Voss and with Adam Steen. She really did clearly identify the questions that need to be answered about the 2020 election. And this is another one that that she put out after Election Day, a note that said military voting, active duty military voting fell by over 80 percent between the 2020 and 2022 elections. And as as we've talked about a lot here on on, on this podcast and, and just here in the state, if you are an active duty military member, you don't have to actually register to vote. You don't even have to show voter ID. You can go to the My Vote system. That's Wisconsin's online voter portal. And you can say, yep, my name is Jim Smith. I'm at this address. I'm in the military. Please send me an absentee ballot. And the state will send you one. Janelle Branchin is at the very heart of this story because a couple of days before Election Day, someone sent her three fake military ballots. And it later turned out to be a Milwaukee elections official who apparently admitted that, yep, she did this. Why she did this still is not known. The the Milwaukee Elections Commission is not necessarily a fan of Janelle Branchin. I don't know if they sued her, but they certainly don't like her. But this is something that she is intimately involved in. And, and the numbers are actually quite interesting. The, the, the quote that we use in the, in the story, the 2022 active military voters dropped to 1,573 after a 2020 high number of 9,876. It was 4,966 in 2018 and 6,736 in 2016. And really, the the implication there is that you had this this build and this peak of almost ten thousand back in the twenty twenty in the twenty twenty election, and then it fell off this year, a year that the opportunity for fraud we got to call it that the opportunity for fraud was exposed, and so basically the the, the unanswered question is well why did we have a drop of nearly 9,000 ballots of, 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 of 8,000 ballots. Did, did somebody all of a sudden decide they weren't going to cheat this way? Did overseas voters just decide they wanted to sit this one out? And like all of the questions that we have ever written about here at the Center Square and, and in most places, most honest places here in Wisconsin, this is a question about the 2020 election that is valid. It may have an absolutely perfectly explainable answer, but we're not getting it. And one of the reasons that we're not getting it is because the Elections Commission continues its recalcitrance towards Representative Branch. And there was a a, a side story yesterday that came out of, I, I believe it was the paper in Madison, 
where the Elections Commission has decided to wait on one of Representative Branchin's latest requests. She's been asking about the state's voter rolls. She wants a, a list of everybody on the voter roll. She also wants an open records request on any documentation about changing that voter roll. And that could be thousands and thousands and thousands of pages. But essentially, they decided, well, she may no longer be the head of the Assembly Committee on Elections next year. So we're just going to wait to see if she's any longer the head of the Assembly Campaign Committee. And it's, it's, it's just one of those little, it's not necessarily petty, but it is just kind of a turning of the screw between these two sides. And so I don't, to, to big picture it out, here's yet another question of, hey, something happened. Right. We, 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 you don't usually have an 8000 ballot swing in just two years. Was it that they were cheating then and just didn't cheat now? What happened? And unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to really get that answer. We may get some more numbers, but I don't think we're going to get any more actual answers. Well, we may just have to invite Bob Dylan to do a sequel song to Bella to Thin Man. There's something happening here, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? So. No. No. Not in the least. Yeah. Well, you have to be a Bob Dylan fan to get that one, I guess. But hey, uh, let's let's move along. And Wisconsin received $600 million in small business coronavirus grant money. And how much of it was wasted? This is the thing. Nobody knows. No, literally nobody has an idea, has a clue as to how much money just sort of disappeared, disappeared. Because what you had is you you had the the Legislative Audit Bureau, one of my favorite people, uh, took a look at two two grant programs, just two grant programs. Now, these are huge programs. That we're all in and the Wisconsin tomorrow. And again, like you said, nearly $600 million in grant money, and it was shoveled out in five and $20,000 checks. And like all auditors do, you take a snapshot, right? But this is one of the first times that I've ever seen this sort of line from auditors. They reviewed 172 grants. Total of those 172 is 4 million bucks. Of that 172, 45 of them went to ineligible businesses. Now, the grand total of that money that was identified, just $475,000. And I know, $475,000 to a lot of people is, well, that, that you can buy a really nice house for that. But when you're talking about $600 million, $475,000 is, is not an overwhelming amount of money. But the problem is is that you're looking at between what 25 and 28% fraud rate 25 and 28% waste rate 25 to 28% something something's wrong here and when you want to do that you, you, you instantly people say well you know about a third or about 30% of this was wasted auditors actually said and and I'm going to read the sentence because I've never heard it put this way because the Legislative Audit Bureau's review is not based on a statistically valid sample of grants, it is not appropriate to extrapolate the results of the review to all grants that the Department of Revenue awarded. Essentially, in, in you know, plain people, in, in public school speak, they're saying, don't do the math. 
Don't don't sit here and say, well, we had about 25 percent of this stuff just thrown away. So 25 percent of six hundred million dollars just thrown out the door. And this shouldn't be a surprise, by the way. Almost every single review at the state and federal level here in Wisconsin, in other states, certainly across the country, shows a massive amount of waste and fraud in every single one of these coronavirus related emergency relief packages. The the PPP loans were notorious for people just saying, oh, yeah, I had um, 17 employees. You hear the anecdotal stories of people getting loans or grants, and next thing you know, they've got a brand new boat or they've paid off the the mortgage on the the lake house. Or there's, there's very little evidence that any of this money actually went to help the people that the governor who signed off on these grants promised that it would help. And and again, you got to get into sort of the the nitty gritty uh, of this, but they don't know how much money was wasted because there's actually no effort or there was no effort on the front end to find out the, 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 the great quote from these. And these auditors write, you know, very, very dry white toast. But the Department of Revenue has undertaken certain program integrity efforts to identify fraudulent grant applications and recover grants awarded inappropriately. In addition, DOR indicated it was determining to the extent to which it may have awarded certain grants in error and anticipated undertaking additional efforts to identify and recover such grants. Again, public school explanation They don't know how much money they threw away. They just were in such a rush to get this out. The 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 Tony Evers for governor reelection fund, as 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 Republicans would would quite frequently call it. They were in such a hurry to get this money out the front door that they didn't stop to make sure that they were actually sending it to people who needed it, actually sending it to people who qualified. The other thing we don't have evidence. The other thing that I I searched through the report and did not find was the definition of ineligible business. Now, some of these may be legitimate businesses that just didn't qualify for this program. Some of them, and the fear is that this could be more than some, the fear is that you had more and more fake businesses or more and more people who inflated their numbers so that they could cash in on what they should not have. But This is a story that you could probably tell in any of the states in which the center square writes. You had a massive trough of federal money and they were really quick to hand it out. And now that we're starting to do the back end accounting, it's becoming more and more clear. Nobody really knows where that money went. And they're kind of maybe hopefully going to try and get some of it back. Well, thank you, Ben. Benjamin Yount is the Center Square's Wisconsin correspondent. And Wisconsin in Focus is powered by the Center Square. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor of the Center Square Newswire Service. Listen for another episode of Wisconsin in Focus next week. Wisconsin in Focus.